You can take your Bible, turn to First Peter chapter one. Uh, sec, yeah, First Peter chapter one. First Peter, chapter one. When you get there, if you stand, we'll read the first seven verses. Verse 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ." I believe I'll read down to verse 10. Whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Brother Harry, would you leave as we pray, please?
Anytime you open the book, the Word of God, there's some questions you ought to ask. One, who is speaking? Two, who is he writing to? And what's, he, what's the subject of this conversation? Peter's doing the writing. That's the reason they call it First Peter. It's the letter of Peter. Who's he writing to? Somebody want to answer that? I hear some murmurs. I don't hear an answer. Huh? Who's the scattered strangers, you think? They're the Jews. Peter is writing over in chapter 5, verse 13, he says this, uh, the, the church that's at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you, and so does Marcus, my son. So he's writing from a Gentile church, but he's writing to the scattered Jews who are scattered throughout the Gentile world. He, he's writing not just to Jews in general, but he's writing to saved Jews. So he says, the, the strangers scattered throughout, and then he names these Gentile places. So that's who's wrote and who he is writing to. Of course, the next question would be, what's the subject? Well, one way you can find the subject of the book, one good way to find the subject of the book is to look for repeated words. John gave us lesson after lesson back there in the senior citizens class on how to distinguish and... uh, and really, it's, it's good lessons. He's writing to save people, but he's writing to save people under great duress. There in... Uh, here's my little phrase. I was going to give it to you a while ago. You might as well hear it. Wherein you look within this book, five things observe with care of whom it speaks, and how it speaks, and why, and when, and where. You get those questions answered, you'll know where you're at in the Bible. And most of the time, most people sitting in churches are wondering where we're at in the Bible. You know, we preach a little bit here, and a little bit there, and a little bit over there, and over there. That's the way we preach. And so I thought I'd just explain a little bit of it for you. Peter is a Jew. He, if you read the book, Peter is a very biased Jew. God's going to have to say three times over the book of Acts, Peter, rise and eat. And Peter's going to say, I've never ate any of that stuff, Lord. I've always been a, a kosher Diet Jew. 
all my life. And God finally had to say, what I have cleaned up, what I have prepared, don't call unclean. He's talking about the Gentile world. And he's taking Peter from a step as a certified, bona fide, uh, pharisaical Jew to a place of openness in his viewpoint. Let me say this. To, while we're talking about Bible students, you know the single greatest problem in understanding your Bible is your prejudices about what the Bible says. It says something, but what we say is, here's what I think. It may surprise you to know this, but God doesn't care what you think. He wrote his Bible off of the mind of God. Hey, the potter, they sung about the clay. The potter makes the clay. Every, every vestige of the, of the vessel has to come out of the mind of the potter. He throws that old wet, damp clay on the wheel and he begins to turn the wheel and then he begins to shape and mold. And everything that vessel will be is out of the mind of the potter. He saved every one of us and I'm going to get to that in just a minute for a purpose. I've got this thing. I'm not going to preach this outline, but I've got this thing divided up. Look at verse 2. There's the process of your salvation. And he's going to list the Trinity in that process. And then in verse 3, he talks about a prepared people who have a lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I can't describe any people but this people we call the church. And then down in verse number four, he talks about a prepared place. He's going to talk about heaven itself and, and the, uh, the inheritance of the saints of God there in heaven. I might as well give you the rest of these points. He talks about the power of his keeping in verse 5. He talks about the precious preparation in verse 6. He talks about the, uh, the praise of his appearance in verse 7. And I'll stop reading there. I've, got a, I've, I've outlined this whole book. I've practiced, these are practice outlines. Sometimes when I'm trying to get a hold of the book, I go through and try to outline verse by verse just to see if I can come up with something for every verse. And that's, that was the product. That's not what I'm preaching this morning. So repeated words. If we want to know what this book's about, one of the ways to figure it out is, is repeated words. I'm not going to the Word right now, but 15 times in five chapters, the most repeated word, and I would say the key word for this book, 
that gives you the theme of the book is the word suffering. I've already told you that he's writing to his chosen people, those who have been saved by the grace of God, those who are dependent on the resurrection of Jesus Christ for their salvation, but those that are scattered through the Gentile world. Well, what's the theme of the book? The theme of the book is the suffering of God's people. And, you know, I know this is a kind of unpopular theology in our day. But, but we as God's people do suffer. That crowd over there saying, if grandma ever took aspirin, she is out of the will of God. And if you just pray, uh, you can get past all that suffering. Look, you can go over to, uh, go over there to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 9, I guess it is. Paul three, paid three times. I, if, you had, if you had a choice of Wayne Hudson or Paul pray for you, which one would you choose? You better choose Paul. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you do that? He is, a, he is a man of God who's been tested. His power with God has been seen. I'd want him to pray for me. In fact, next time I get down, I may ask him to help me pray. But the Bible talks about this man of God being in dire straits, praying three times for the thorn to be removed over in 1 Corinthians 12. And then he said, but God wouldn't remove the thorn lest, I, lest my pride should be built. And everybody wants to guess about what the thorn is. It really doesn't matter much what the thorn is. The thorn is that part that, that God allows in us to keep us humble before him. That's the lesson. So you can tell the name it and claim it crowd that, it, that you can be as sanctimonious, harmonious, and as melodious as you want to be and still be out they're on a limb of persecution and suffering for the Lord. D.L. Moody said that God never built a ship that he did not send to sea. It's tested in the storms. And everybody's heard this, I'm sure, but Every person lost or saved, every person in life a storm. I mean, it's one storm after another storm. You get through with one storm, you get prepared because you're fixing to go into the next storm. It's, it's a storm over here or it's a storm over there. I've found out that, that there's much more grief in the storms of my grandchildren and my children than it is for me. I mean... When I'm in the middle of it, I know how to look to God. 
when they're in the middle of it, I don't know whether they know or not. I don't know if they will or not. And all I can do is pray that, the, that God will somehow overcome ignorance and unbelief and, and the stupidity and work in their lives in spite of them. And you need to pray for your family that way too. They need our prayers. Hey, this bunch right here on these front two seats, they stand in more danger than anybody in this congregation as a group. I mean, everything the devil can do, he's throwing at them. And they're going to have to face it. These are saved kids. These are some of God's vessels. Satan, Satan sends the trials and the storms in our life. I'm, I'm going to try to get to my message in a minute. To make us fall. Over there in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 19, Paul said that, that there's a group that have failed in faith and made shipwreck of their lives. Now, Peter's not writing to lost people. Peter's writing to get saved people. Y'all told me that a while ago. And what he is saying to them is, you're going to go through some suffering and heartache Somebody said that First Peter is the book of preparation for suffering. Well, why should we prepare? We're happy, happy, happy. We don't ever have a problem. We've been saved, don't you know? No, we became the targets of Satan. And we are children of faith, are we not? We're saved by faith. It's by faith. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. And so the second half of that is the devil tempts us to make us sink and fall, become a shipwreck. But God allows trials in our lives and temptations not to sink us, but to build our faith. Without faith it's impossible to please God. He that cometh unto God must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But that's just first page. You remember Thomas? He'd been three years with Jesus. He's heard him preach. He saw the dead raised. And, and, uh, and he makes a dumb statement. And he says, unless I can put my finger in his hand, unless I can put my hand in his side, and suddenly there he is. And he said, Thomas, come here. And Thomas fell and made the greatest, one of the greatest statements of faith in the whole Bible. He didn't have to touch him. He didn't have to stick a hand in. But he said, my Lord, that comes from here. And my God, that comes from here. His will is surrendered to him. His heart is surrendered. His faith has taken a giant leap 
because of the tests that he's been put through for a week. He wasn't there. Everybody else was there. God gives us tests. To build us, you, know, you can go over to you can go over to Ephesians, the first chapter. He's going to say you got in about verse twelve. He's going to say that's how you got saved. Verse thirteen says, and here's the Holy Spirit. He's living in you now. And verse about fourteen, fifteen, along in there, he says, which is the the earnest of the contract. You've got the earnest of God, of my word living in you now by faith. You hadn't seen him, you hadn't heard him, you haven't you don't know much about him. All you've got is my book. But he'll keep you. See, the difference between that crowd out yonder going through a storm and us over here going through a storm, they go alone. But we have him with us in the middle of the storm. So that's what Peter's going to, that's the emphasis. This is not a chicken little story. Uh, you remember Chicken Little? Henny Penny went running off down through the cow and the horse and the frog and the dog and and she kept saying the the, the sky is falling. I'm not trying to say the sky is falling, but you you say, Brother Wayne, why are you preaching on this? I'm glad you asked that. I struggled all week. I wanted to preach another salvation message or or a growing in grace message or something. But all around us are storms. I'm not talking about physical storms like the hurricane that went through. That's there. And if you were one of those people on that island down in Florida this morning, you'd need more grace. You'd need a little more faith. You'd need something that, that only God can supply to carry you through a disaster you didn't think would ever happen. But every one of us are headed down the same road. Hey, and all it takes is somebody to say cancer one time. I mean, your whole life can go upside down with one conversation. God can touch you in a way to, to get your attention anytime he wants to. Miss Judy just gave me a new, new diagnosis this morning. It's all in his hands, isn't it, Judy? But no, you know what? We heard people say that 40, 50, 60 years ago. But now it's real. And it'll take faith to stand on it when it's said to you. It'll take faith for the dark day. There's some folks in this room today 
that are struggling with life and death issues. The most wonderful thing I can think of is when you come down to that death day, that, that, that serious, you got three days or six months or whatever it is day. That the greatest thing I could think of is to have a good rapport with my Savior. To be a one-on-one -on -one with my Savior and know who He is and be able to get a prayer through to heaven. There's people that need that right here. There's all kinds of problems and trials and heartaches going on. And I, I just feel like we ought to address some of this. So, I, bet I have frustrated uh, Andrew, I know, with my intermittent transmittal of when I give him an outline, I, can't, I don't follow the outline. And, when, and most of the time I don't give him an outline. I never did get around to getting the outline to him. That's reading the lights out up here. But I want to preach about the separation for trials. See, see he's, he's talking, he's writing this letter to Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. But he's not writing it to Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Bithynia. He's writing it to the scattered strangers in that country. And as I preach this morning, I understand this before I preach it, that for maybe over 50% of the congregation, you won't even listen. But to those that will listen, it's a message from God to you for your heart to prepare you for that time when you come up against it and there's no help but God. This is that message. It's what this book's about. It's a the theme of the book. Preparation for suffering. So he says, verse number two, elect. I, 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 I thought about spending time on that word elect. That, that word has always bothered me. I just, I, I can't spend a bunch of time on it, but I do want to mention it because you're going to run into it another place. He is a sovereign God. His grace is administered sovereignly. But get this down in your crawl. The Calvinists said that somebody is appointed to be lost and somebody is appointed to be saved. That's not Bible. The elect are those people who have been appointed to salvation by God's foreknowledge and direction. Everyone, hey, are you saved? We got saved off of one verse, didn't we? Whosoever believeth on Him will not perish. 
God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Is that true or not true? Is it God's word or not God? It is God's word and it is true and it's always true and whosoever will may come. Whoever, whosoever won't never can come. And you either will or you won't. And if you will, you can be saved. If you won't, you never be saved. Y'all got that? That's what the Bible says. He said over in Second uh, Peter chapter 3 that God is not willing that any, that's one, not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you understand elect? Elect means if you're a whosoever, you fit the prescription to be saved. If you're, hey, God does not want one person to be unsaved. You got that? That's God's election. We come through a door that says whosoever will. And you turn around and look back and it says elect. Foreknowledge directed by God. There's another, there's another part of election. Out of the whosoever wills coming through here. I believe right here in this congregation there's some. God's already elected. God's already selected. Amazing what she sung this morning. A vessel of honor. There's already somebody here that is a vessel of honor. That only means set apart for him. That's what that means. That vessel of honor is the one who has been separated from the crowd. One of my old heroes wrote a song and said, You can't roll a skate in a buffalo herd. There's a buffalo herd. There's a sheep herd, sheep, a flock of sheep. But there's a one. You can go over. Our, didn't our bulletin have Genesis or Isaiah chapter six? Whom shall I send? Who'll go for me? Hear my Lord, send me. There had to be a selection and a call. There had to be an answer to the call. And that one becomes the select one, the servant that God will use. We're coming into missions. You go over to Genesis or Acts chapter 13. He said, you separate me. Barnabas and Saul for a work whereunto I have called them selected chosen by God called to a holy calling a, a, a vessel of honor fit for the master's use 
So that's all I want to say about election. If you got any other question, I'll talk to you later. Look at this. Don't let this verse scare you. He's talking about salvation. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. I've got a bunch of verses I'm not going to read. I've got the foreknowledge of God, the sanctification of the Spirit. Let's talk about the sanctification of the Spirit. Go over to John chapter 6. I'll just show you one verse. Or a couple of verses. It's all in John 6. 6.44 No man can come, me to, come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Get that verse. Hey guys, understand this. I know that some of this preaching you don't care about. But you better listen to the Word of God because there's a day when He names your name. There's a day when He calls your name. And you can only come when He calls you. You can laugh and cut up and play around and walk out the door and reject the Savior. But you may never have another opportunity. There is a day when you... He said, my spirit will not always strive with man. And there's a day when you say no too many times. He's long-suffering. And His grace is extended. And every one of us is... Hey, I could ask Brother Allen to give us a testimony right now. Long-suffering... He made a profession at 10. He got saved at 77. How many times do you reckon he heard the invitation? You may get away with it. But he drove a truck two million miles. What if he'd had one accident in two million miles? Where would he be today? Without Jesus... He can't go to heaven. God is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish. There is grace. But don't play loose with God's grace. Your times are in His hand. And so He said, no man... There had to be a day when that Holy Spirit comes and says, this is your time. You can say no to it and walk away. But you're playing with fire when you do that. Salvation is by the grace of God, yes. But grace is not extended indefinitely. In the day you hear his voice, harden not your heart. There's all kinds of verses in the scripture. 
that sanctification of the Spirit, look back up to verse 39. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again the last day. Verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that come to me all in no wise cast out. You can't sin too much to be saved. You can't be too wicked to be saved. You can't be But here's what you can be. You can procrastinate. You can put off. And you can put off. Boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day bring forth. He that hardeneth his neck. It will suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. That's Bible verses. He is the Lord of all of glory. And we are saved by His grace, but He is our Lord. It took the moving of the... Here's what I was going to say to you. What we're hearing today is, if you want to be saved, invite Jesus into your heart and you're saved. Where's the sanctification of the Spirit in that? I got burned pretty bad with those spiritual gift tests. They were popular 15 years ago, 20 years ago. You sit down with a piece of paper and take a test, and then they'll tell you what your spiritual gift is. I had a guy come into my church. He said, I've got the gift of counseling. I did not realize how much poison was in that statement till he began to counsel my sheep in my herd. And Brother Harry, I found out what wickedness is, is there. In a physical, mental ability, you cannot figure out the spiritual gift of God. It'll take the Holy Spirit to generate the spiritual gifts. Don't think you can just join the church, sign a paper, get, and all of a sudden you can be the preacher, teacher, uh, class director, youth director. That, that's not all there is. Hey, there's some days of struggling with the Lord. There's some days when that Holy Spirit's gripped you, and you can't get away from it. Days when your job means nothing, your position means nothing, your Everything comes secondary to the call of God on your life. And when you humble yourself, Paul said, Lord, what would you have me to do? He said that as a Jewish terrorist who's had his heart broken on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, this Jesus of Nazareth becomes Lord. 
until that happens, I doubt if we're saved at all. I don't know how, I didn't intend to preach all this. Okay, so we've gone through sanctification. We could talk about, let's go over to Hebrews 9, 12. I may just preach verse 1. I love this. He's, see, that verse said, verse number three, uh, 2 says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, we've got two parts of the Trinity we've took care of right there. Now, let's go to the third one. And the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews 9, uh, he says in verse 13, That's not the verse I want. He says it. He says in verse in chapter in the earlier chapter, he's talking about these first verse one. He talks about the first covenant. Verse two, he talks about the tabernacle. Verse three, he talks about the holiest of all. And verse seven, he says, and the second went to high priest alone once a year, not without blood. Verse, verse 8, this was a symbol. The Holy Ghost was signifying the way in the holiest was not yet made manifest and was a figure for the time in then present in which were offered both gifts, gifts and sacrifices that could not make a service, uh, per, uh, make him that did service perfect and uh, so on. Verse 11, but Christ, being come a high priest of good things, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Let's, let me just let me put that in right here for you. If you were a Jew and you, the tabernacle of the wilderness set in the center of the camp, there's three tribes on that side, three tribes on this side, three tribes front and back. But you pull back a half mile from that temple and you're, you stand at a distance because this is a day of atonement. The day of the atonement, the high priest takes off his regular robe, puts on the, the robes of the high priest. They got jingle bells on the hymns, and they've got, uh, it's all gold and blue, and it's a, quite a robe. And he's going into the tabernacle by himself. His first order is to, to, to offer the sacrifice of a bullock for the sins of the people. He'll lay hands on the, or for, the, for his own sins first. He lays hands on the bullock. He kills the bullock. He catches the blood. 
and offers a sacrifice, goes into the Holy of Holies, sprinkles blood. Everything's silent all the way around the camp. Then comes the second bullock for the people. And he goes into the Holy of Holies again with the blood of that bullock sprinkles I mean the incense is flowing the room is completely dark and smoke filled and he puts that blood on the altar again God said over in Exodus 25 right there is where I'll meet with my people not in the mercy seat not in the cherubim but in the blood on the mercy seat that's where I'll meet with my people but it only lasted a year there's more to it than that, but, but, but when he gets through with all the ceremony, there's some old scribe out there on the edge of the crowd, and he sees the smoke go up, and he hears the bells are jingling, and, and the high priest is still, he's been to the mercy seat, and he's still alive. And the scribe says, God has accepted. God has accepted. And it goes through the crowd. God has accepted. God has After a while it's a roar. God has accepted the blood of the sacrifice. Over in Hebrews, he says, that Jesus, Hebrews chapter 4, I believe it is, he took his blood into the sacrifice. That's into the tabernacle not made with hands. He took his own blood. And only he and God are there. Every angel is out there on the parapets of heaven. Everybody's wondering what's going on. Over there in the tabernacle is is the grace, peace, comforts. And Jesus is putting his blood... On that, on that sacrifice. And after a while, the bells are ringing and heaven's stirring and some angel out there on the wall says, God has accepted for all, hey, hey, Pax, he's offered the only sacrifice for all sin, the only sacrifice For every man, woman, boy, girl, he only sacrificed that can bring salvation. Once and for all, he's offered the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. God has accepted. This morning, He says, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, according to the sanctification of the Spirit, and and unto the obedience 
and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hey, you strangers scattered around, you who have said, I will believe on him. You see that? Obedience and sprinkling of the blood. The blood's already been sprinkled. Whether you obey or not is is a question in your heart. Only you and God know. But the very day that you say, yes, I do, yes, I will, I'm going to bow myself. He is my Lord and my Savior. I'll accept Him as my only Savior. Guess what? Over in Luke chapter 15, he says two times that the angels in heaven rejoice all over heaven for the salvation of one lost soul. I'm so glad that my Father in heaven tells of his love in a book he has given. Wonderful thing in the Bible I see. This is the greatest. Jesus loved me. Yes, Jesus loved me. I'm saved, saved, saved. I am that vessel prepared for the Master's use. Not because I've done anything. It's all because of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and what He's done. And that's what He'll do for you, my friend, if you'll just submit yourself. You may be a stranger, but He'll take you in. That's what what verse 2 says. Let's stand. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for the message I didn't have when I got here. But Lord, I thank you for giving it this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd be with that one who said no to the, no to the Savior. Time after time. Help them understand, Lord, this is the day. You've come to make peace. You've come to give joy. You've come to place hope in a hopeless heart. God, I ask you to just take charge this morning. We're out in water way too deep. It'll take you to do your work. Please take charge of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You need to come, you come. Let God have His way with you right now.
him now. Now sign now with Jesus. I'm joint heirs with Jesus. It's more than a robe and a crown. It's everything in heaven. I'm an equal heir with him. That's what it says. He not only had a plan for me, he's got a place for me. He's got a place for you. Would you let him? Would you let him? He said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. If I go, I'll come back and receive you unto myself. And where I am you, there may be also. Would you let him take you, show you your inheritance this morning? I mean, it's more than just this life. In the storm, it's good to be able to see a light. I wish old Dan was in here. He was. Me and I were talking about Coast Guard. He he was talking about a 390-foot vessel out in those waves in the dark. He said those guys jumping out of helicopters got all the glory, but we was the one that was reaching the people. It may look dark where you're at today. But Daniel said, there's a God in heaven that rules in the affairs of men. And he's still on the throne. While we're struggling and suffering and and going through trials and persecution, he's standing instead. The light's shining. And he's at home for us today. Sing one more verse. This is your verse.
Amen. Well, this evening, uh, Bruce is going to tell us about a interesting. I saw one picture, got in trouble over it, and uh, but he's going to show us his pictures, and and it'll be a blessing. So don't miss it, and we'll probably try to get back into the first chapter of Peter a little bit too. So y'all come. We're going to have a good time. Let's sing our chorus till the whole world knows. Till the whole world knows. Till the whole world knows. I will shout and sing of Christ my King. Till 